Mark Lentz, Director of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the POMAP's Middle East Political Science Podcast, our series of conversations with leading scholars in the field. Uh, with us today is Gershon Shafir. He's the Distinguished Professor of Sociology at the University of California at San Diego and the former president of the Israel Studies Association. Uh, he has a new book out, A Half Century of Occupation, Israel, Palestine, and the World's Most Attractable Conflict, recently published by University of California Press. Uh, Gershon, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Mark, for having me. So let's talk about uh, about your new book and what it has to say about the possibility of a two-state solution and uh, what we might expect or what we might be thinking about in terms of the relationship between Israel and uh, the, the Palestinian territories. Uh, well, there is a, a fairly widespread consensus that the two-state solution is that you know, if there is a range of disagreement, it's whether it's uh, the two-state solution is in the emergency room, it's in the mortuary, or has already been buried. And I usually am suspicious when there is such an agreement, especially since it runs all the way from the Israeli settlers to a Palestinian civil society activists. So in this book, among other things, I have um, a, a created or a, a, what I call a feasibility study feasibility study to examine uh, whether the two-state solution in fact is that. And it is not that difficult to do because the data is widely available from uh, multiple sources. So, for example, if you look at the demographic ratio of Israeli settlers to Palestinians residing in the West Bank, and for the moment I leave East Jerusalem uh, to the side, you see that uh, less than 14% of the settlers in the West Bank, uh, less than, sorry, 14% of the um, population of the West Bank, uh, around 420,000, uh, are uh, settlers, uh, whereas there are, more than 300, uh, there are more than 3 million Palestinians in the same area. So Palestinians still maintain a crushing uh, demographic uh, presence. Even more significantly, if you break down the category of settlement to uh, multiple categories, and in fact, in Hebrew, you have different names for different types of settlements, each uh, having its uh, or creating its own distinct frontier, then you see that they are located in different geographical parts of the West Bank and they represent different uh, kinds of interests. The strongest are the suburban uh, settlements which constitutes several settlement blocks along the Green Line where the majority of the settlers uh, reside and uh, as part of a territorial exchange of about 4% mm -hmm. between Israel and the future Palestine state, uh, about 80% of the settlers uh, could remain within Israel and it, this would afford the creation of a contiguous uh, and therefore a viable Palestinian state side-by-side side with Israel. So in order to, uh, to to look at that, you break it down, uh, the different types of settlements, uh, the number of, uh, of, of settlers and, the, de and the, the, the demographics. What about the ideas of it? Because you mentioned uh, that there is this new consensus that you see that the two-state solution is dead. And in a sense, what you're, it seems that you're doing is you're juxtaposing your reading of the material reality on the ground to this overwhelming consensus that seems to be emerging among Israelis and Palestinians. Why do you think it is that Israelis and Palestinians have come to that conclusion if, if, if in your reading of it, you know, the, the facts don't really support it? 
Well, uh, because um, the even though the settlement project has stalled to a large extent, and if you look at the rate, at the growth rate of settlers, which is the crucial factor, you see that it has declined from 10% maybe 15 years ago to no more than 3.4% now, which is about 13,000 settlers a year, the vast majority of whom are born in the West Bank. In other words, their parents are settlers as well, and relatively few Israelis move to the West Bank. It is precisely to bridge over the uh, grandiose hopes mm -hmm. attached to the colonization project and its more dismal reality that Israel is engaged in political, in the political project of denying both the existence of the occupation and the uh, stalling of the uh, settlement, mm -hmm. uh, settlement project. So uh, in politics uh, are uh, not uh, physics. Uh, physics mm -hmm. we cannot tinker with, but politics we potentially can and hopefully will. Well, so if you take something like the wall, uh, the security barrier, the wall, whatever, whatever we call it, that seems like something quite physical, like demarcating something which uh, maybe corresponds to people's uh, perceptions. Why, why is that not something which could, which could map something out along the lines you're describing? Well, uh, in, we have to take the separation wall uh, very uh, seriously, precisely because it can be a potential uh, boundary. But the fact that it could be a potential boundary in itself indicates that the separation mm -hmm. project <laughs> is uh, ongoing. The whole purpose behind the separation wall is to say they are there, we are here. The point, the problem, uh, of course, is that the Israeli occupation continues on the other side of the separation wall mm -hmm. uh, uh, as well. And uh, there are, you know, tens of thousands of settlers as well, the Israeli military, the Shin Bet, uh, the court system, and so on and so forth, that are deployed uh, there, uh, mm -hmm. there as well. So, you mentioned uh, in, in the numbers that you gave a few minutes ago, you, you excluded Jerusalem from that. But as we all know, Israel has a very expansive definition uh, of Jerusalem. Is it possible to sustain that distinction for the purposes of this analysis? Yes. If you uh, indeed... Um, uh, Israeli leaders uh, swear, uh, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised that after brushing their teeth every morning, they would say, uh, bow and say, uh, Jerusalem is the eternal and indivisible capital of Israel. But in fact, the very same people erected the separation wall to Jerusalem. It runs to Jerusalem. It excludes about 100,000 uh, Palestinians who live in uh, Aqab and Shuafat and the Kalandia refugee camp. And in fact, there is an area where there is a wall within the wall. There is the enclave of Beit Nabala, a Palestinians who are supposed to be residents of East Jerusalem, but in fact, they are separated from it by a wall and uh, they want to leave. They have to do so by going to the territory of the Palestinian Authority uh, to, a, to a tunnel. So Jerusalem uh, is effectively divided by the very same people who uh, proclaim uh, solemnly that mm -hmm. uh, it would be unconscionable to do so. 
So, and when you mention uh, the experience of these uh, residents uh, of East Jerusalem, uh, it, it raises the bigger question of all of the barriers and checkpoints throughout the West Bank, which separate the Palestinian population centers and and uh, get in the way of the, the emergence of a, of, of a Palestinian entity. Is that is that part of your reading of what's going on in terms of uh, Israel's current position in the West Bank? Well, the uh the um, Israeli control used to be much more direct, you know, exerted through the um, a permit system, for example, which to extent still exists, but uh, uh, in the wake of the Oslo Accord, not it's a direct result of it, but in the wake of the Oslo Accord and the, uh, and the, in particular the um, various terrorist attacks that took place within the Green Line, within Israel, a, a new method of occupation has emerged, and more indirect, one from the outside, which relies on checkpoints. Okay. And some of the checkpoints are permanent, uh, made of concrete, others are flying checkpoints, which just may be a jeep, and a couple of soldiers that are here one day and elsewhere on another day. Uh, the significance is in um, unraveling the um, building blocks of everyday life insofar as um, there is a great deal of arbitrariness you don't know where they are open when they are open you don't know uh, who is allowed to go through uh, this the uh, daily intelligence uh, briefings lead the Israeli military to change the uh, requirements and as a consequence things that we take for granted such as uh, things we can measure such as time and space uh, themselves become occupied in the mm -hmm. process. And that's actually one of the really interesting things in the book is uh, the, the detailed look at these mechanisms of violence and control which shape all aspects of Palestinian life even when you don't have supposedly this direct occupation. Uh, th there are there are multiple methods, you know, the occupation, and in many ways, this is what the occupation is all about: is the military control that allows Israel to deploy a various technologies of control mm -hmm. that no civilian government could uh, could contemplate, and and, and uh, this affects not only Palestinians who are engaged in hostile activities against Israel, uh, or sus even suspected of engaging activities but the families, friends, and the rest of the Palestinian population. Uh, the permit system I mentioned, there is administrative detention, there is uh, um, um, the um, checkpoints and um, house demolitions mm -hmm. uh, that uh, uh, the um, straw widow a straw called soldiers called the straw widow mission by soldiers coming to a village and occupy a house a, a, for a period of time to to uh, to demonstrate their presence and they control and basically intimidate the local mm -hmm. uh, population yes many of these uh, are very much uh, present and uh, have not changed uh, even uh, today are those mechanisms sustainable uh, in the absence of the Palestinian Authority? Should the Palestinian Authority collapse, is this architecture that you're describing sufficient uh, to, to, make, to keep the status quo? Well, Abbas is now um, 83 years old, and I'm not sure. I believe he's in the 14th years of his four-year term. 
so uh, and he uh, is uh, uh, you know heavily criticized and doubted and in particular his willingness to continue the um, security cooperation with Israel in spite of the fact that there is no progress in the peace process has uh, you know led to his description as a potential as really the potential or actual collaborator so uh, the separation regime depends uh, and these methods of control depend on a large extent on uh, the Palestinian authorities willingness to um, uh, prevent more severe Attacks on Israel mm -hmm. from the from the West Bank, and uh, uh, I think that uh, as um, as Abbas becomes either older, frailer, uh, or uh, dies, internal Palestinian divisions uh, would lead to um, to um, uh, would no longer allow the continued close cooperation with Israeli security forces which would require Israel to engage in a much more thorough occupation if this is what mm -hmm. it would want to do in the face of greater uh, opposition. The price would be much higher for continued presence without effective cooperation with the uh, Palestinian uh, mm -hmm. National Authority. And in fact, the Israeli military leaders recognize it, the political leaders less so. And But that then raises the what in many ways seems like the most important question. You say if Israelis wanted to do that. But in terms of the, the political willingness to, to play that kind of role, it seems like the politics today are very different uh, from the way they were the last time, the last historical periods when Israel was directly occupying the West Bank. Um, and I, I want to kind of ask you to connect the, the this book back to your earlier book, mm -hmm. uh, the book you wrote with Yoav Peled, on uh, being Israeli, where you linked Israeli identity and citizenship and notions of, you know, what who Israelis are and what they want to their attitudes towards the peace process and their attitudes towards the Palestinians. What does Israel look like today in terms of the constellation of identities and public arguments and uh, and and ideas about itself? which would inform this kind of Israeli role in a, in a post-PA West Bank? Well, I, I don't know that it would be a, a post-PA period. There mm -hmm. might be a different kind of a, a Palestinian authority uh, you know, in place, uh, just whether mm -hmm. it would be more collaborationist or would, or would be um, a more opposed to collaboration. I you know, only time will uh, yeah. will tell. But uh, the political project in Israel today is one of a, a clamping down on those who speak of the occupation or speak against the occupation. And there are many Israeli NGOs. In fact, I would say with the decline, I wouldn't say collapse, but the decline of the Israeli peace movement, its place has been taken up, or it's been taken by uh, many Israeli NGOs, and each of the uh, technologies of control that I mentioned, uh, ironically, has an Israeli NGO that monitors it and reports on it, hmm. uh, such as Machsom Watch or uh, Checkpoint Watch, a, a group of Jewish grandmothers who go out to the West Bank to monitor the boys and make sure that they don't do uh, 
irreparable harm as you know as much as it is possible. But these organizations, and especially breaking the silence, which consists of soldiers who have served and carried out these uh, technologies of control, and then first then mentally rebel against it and they become explicit in talking about it and in denouncing it and therefore the occupation itself and the influence of the settlers mm -hmm. on the government itself are no longer uh, toler tolerated as they uh, were in the past. So I would say that today Israel itself is being occupied by the occupation. The Israeli mind not only the West Bank, but the Israeli mind is being colonized. Uh, and uh, two uh, laws passed by the Israeli parliament month in and month out uh, to bring NGOs under closer control, uh, to prevent them from, uh, or to administrative action, to prevent them from uh, appearing and speaking to students in school uh, and in public, uh, mm -hmm. public places and uh, in receiving funds some such countries as Norway and Germany yeah. that otherwise are very friendly to Israel, but here they are being viewed as supporting an internal enemy. So once a, a Israeli leftist a peaceniks, maybe better term, as they were a, a, reviewed by the Israeli right as maybe being misguided, okay? They said they made a mistake by supporting the Oslo policies. No longer, they are not looked upon as being naive but as being a, an eternal enemy, and therefore one that needs to be brought to heel. From the outside, it, 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 it's easy to look as if the, uh, the, the long-standing tension, which has been beneath the, the drive for the peace process, the tension between Israel being Jewish versus being democratic, uh, from the outside, it looks like that's been resolved in the sense of uh, Israelis seem to have chosen being Jewish over being democratic, in that that tension seems to have, have, have moved in that direction as Israeli politics moved to the right. And you've been looking at this so closely for so long. Is that is that kind of general reading mistaken? Yeah. I think it would be premature to reach that uh, conclusion. Uh, if the Israeli... Uh, Hokaleon, the, the law of the, the national law or the law of Jewish nationality was adopted by the Israeli Knesset, it would very likely prioritize Israel's Jewish over its democratic aspects. But let's keep in mind that not all of Israel is the state of Judea, okay, as it's called in Israel. There's also the state of Tel Aviv, okay, and the, the you know, and the two twins shall not mix. Or mm -hmm. uh, there is uh, uh, the old NGOs I mentioned. Uh, there are uh, multiple. Uh, there are cultural events. There are political parties. You know, not in large numbers, but they are significant enough and they are concentrated enough to have. I would argue for this turn to have taken place. So no, the, I would say there is no religious turn. It might be a half turn. The struggle is still going on over hegemony within uh, Israeli society, and uh, uh, and uh, the uh, Israeli uh, peace camp has not, uh, you know, uh, some of the members talk about them, themselves as a 
minority demanding minority rights or minority protections, but the vast majority of them have not reached that uh, stage. However, they are, gross, they are, they are greatly uh, threatened and um, uh, uh, have to fight pitch battles, legal, cultural, mm -hmm. political, on a regular basis, just to protect their ability to speak uh, freely. There is, they, they live under what uh, in American terms would call a McCarthyist uh, period, where mm -hmm. it is uh, dangerous for many to speak out uh, because the uh, employment uh, is uh, threatened if they do so, especially in, the, in mm -hmm. arts, in the area of arts, which are supported, you know, government supported. Mm -hmm. so the government has taken, gone to great length to limit and cut back its financial support for a government, uh, for, for, for artistic, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. for movie uh, festivals, uh, theater festivals, uh, plays, and so on and so forth. But areas that are not funded by the government uh, or not funded by maybe European uh, EU uh, uh, organizations, uh, you know, operate, uh, mm -hmm. operate uh, uh, freely and have a recourse to the Israeli court system. So this is uh, not yeah. the... So the, the state of Tel Aviv is still there, and I would say it strives, and I hope it will continue doing so. So civil society and the courts continue to fight, and I think the way you phrase that is very useful, that the, it's not yet a, a situation of hegemony because it's still contested. It seems like it's been a long time since the, the left has been able to mount a serious electoral challenge, though. Um, and so how do you balance the this political shift towards the parties of the right with this ongoing kind of intellectual and cultural and legal resistance being waged by the left? Uh, which which one matters more? In I, a think, sense? I think I think the 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 um, the um, a civil society actions are the heart of the resistance to the occupation. It is no longer a well, it's not as much a political project, and of course that signals, you know, how much weaker and weakened they have become. All right, well, uh, thank you, uh, Gershon uh, Shafir, for joining us. Um, we've been speaking with Gershon Shafir, the author of the new book, A Half Century of Occupation, uh, Distinguished Professor of Sociology at uh, UC San Diego. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.